Good morning. Good morning, Ian. I'll keep talking until someone gives me the thumbs up that I'm switched on. I'm on. That's good to know. Thank you for inviting me back. Lovely to be here. I see, looking around, that you are also in the midst of the annual migration. Um, yes, most of Heritage have run frantically down to Entebbe to get on flights to wherever, and it looks like you've done the same. There's a few of you left. Nice to see you, and good to be back. Are you thirsty? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's Psalm 42, 1 to 2. How often is this your cry? Are you thirsty? Really thirsty? Soul thirsty? Um, I was recently in England. I always go to England before this annual migration so that I can get back again. Um, when I was recently in England, I had a free day, and it was bright and sunny. I know that doesn't normally happen in England, but it was bright and sunny, so I chose to walk the coast path between Lyme Regis and Seton, a distance of about 14 kilometers. Now, it's a remote section of the coast, heavily forested with very few dwellings. The path is narrow, it's steep, and it's rough, and there's a warning sign saying that the route is challenging over uneven terrain, taking around four hours. That's precisely what it said. I scoffed. As a tough African, I'd be fine. I had a cup of tea before leaving Lyme Regis and set off in my sandals with no water and only my phone in my pocket. And there was no signal. So that was pointless. <laughs> the warning sign was accurate, and the day was warm. After about two and a half hours, I was flagging and exhausted, and I was in that midsection of the walk where going back ceased to be a good option. You know, it's like the, should I go back? Well, I'm probably kind of halfway, but actually the GPS on my phone isn't working, so I haven't got a clue where I am. Anyway, that was the sort of... It was the hottest time of the day. I didn't panic, but I sure panted. Then, around the next corner, there was a tiny clear stream that bubbled across the path. And just off to my right, the sea was on my left, I'm high up above the sea, and the sea's no good, it's all salty. Um, over to my right, I could see the stream, uh, sorry, not the stream, the spring, where this stream was being fed. So I thought, that's pure water. And I fell on that water with a greedy frenzy, and I drunk deep. <laughs> I had no cup with me, so I knelt down in the mud and cupped the water with my hands. It tasted so good and revived and refreshed me. Water is a vital human need. We can live for a significant time without food, but only about three days without water. It's essential 
And God, our designer and creator, knows that need. He knew I was thirsty on that walk and provided, as he did for the Israelites in the wilderness, Numbers 22 to 11. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink, they shouted. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, I like that, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. God provides when we're thirsty. But when I asked you earlier if you were thirsty, I was thinking of spiritual thirst rather than physical. We live in times that leave us dry, spiritually dehydrated. Dried fruit shrivels up, shrinks, lacks juice. Our spirits, our souls, inner being can dry up too. We can feel parched and shriveled up. The spiritual fruit we're supposed to exhibit becomes in short supply. What causes this thirst? The following monologue speaks into the problem. Now, this monologue, it was written by Dr. Bob Moorhead. He was a pastor from Seattle, and he wrote this way back in 1995. You may even want to close your eyes to avoid distraction as I read this, and silently own the parts that apply to you. So please, just listen as I read it slowly. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider highways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, yet more problems, more medicine, but less wellness. We drink too much, we smoke too much, we spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We've multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. 
We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We conquered our outer space, but not our inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've conquered the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We learn to rush, but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestion, big men and small character, steep profits and shallow relationships. If you closed your eyes, you can open them again now. So what did you take hold of and own? I know when I read it, I actually took ownership of way too much of that. It's scary when you hear an analysis, an analysis like this to see just how much can apply to us. I wonder whether Dr. Moorhead intended this for Christians or was he speaking prophetically to the world? or both. The truth is that if we took ownership of even one small part of it, we have admitted, though in secret, that we are thirsty and we need God to step in and refresh us. The speed and intensity of life grinds us down and wears us out. So many people, including us, we are not exempt go through our lives in a state of exhaustion, feeling undernourished with dehydrated souls. We know we shouldn't be like that. We understand the scriptures that say God sustains, fills, and feeds us. But in reality, we are far, far from that place of fulfillment. The story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well is usually preached in terms of non-believers needing salvation, which is a perfectly valid application. But I want to look at this well-known story again, but this time I want us to apply it personally. We're looking in John 4, but I want to take it step by step. Now he had to go through Samaria, that is Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Firstly, we need to note that Jesus was tired and thirsty. I know this narrative is about spiritual thirst, but the physical thirst, as I showed earlier, is a basic human need. Jesus is fully human. That's so important for us to remember. He is fully human. So here he is, exhausted from hiking and ready for a cooling cup of refreshment. 
Then going on verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This woman was worn down by life. It doesn't actually say that, but we can see that if we understand her a little bit better. She is part of a race of outcasts, rejected by many people in the neighborhood, to the extent that she has to come getting water at the hottest time of the day when others would not be around. That's exhausting. And she has baggage, emotional baggage, a string of relationships that have somehow failed, we don't know for why, and her current relationship is not formalized, so she likely feels insecure and dirty. Religious baggage, too. Her heritage and culture demands that she worships on this mountain, but the Jews reject this and say her worship is false because she's not going to Jerusalem. Mind you, if she showed up in Jerusalem, she would be rejected for being a Samaritan, so she just can't win. Before we go on, may I ask if you can relate to this lady? I certainly can. You have messed up relationships, and you've been judged for it, probably by fellow believers, and it hurts. You have habits and addictions hard to shake off. You feel guilty, and you're not sure who you can trust enough to share with. You have issues with anger, frustration, depression, and worry. But church has been telling you forever that to feel that way is sinful, so now you hide it. Because of your family, or your education level, or your past life, you just don't feel you fit in. Deep down, you feel awkward and rejected by the very people who you should be closest to. Do you relate? All these things can make us dry, cause us to shrivel and die inside. We may remember how we felt when Jesus first came into our lives and it somehow feels distant and unreachable. Or we've worn our mask dutifully on Sundays for so long as we come to worship, yet deep down, it doesn't feel real. And we cry out to Jesus, I am thirsty. Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
Now, we have a theological dilemma here. The implication of Jesus' words would be that we take one sip, one gulp of this living water, and we are sorted. So why do we feel that thirst? We have met with Jesus from time to time. We blow the dust and cobwebs off our testimony and share it. Surely, we have no right to say we are thirsty. My reading of the passage is slightly different. Yes, he is inviting this lady to drink living water. The promise attached is that it leads to life. No more thirst, and that life will be eternal. All things that we want to hold on to. But two things I notice in the passage change the dynamic. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There is an invitation into relationship here. Jesus is not taking, saying, take a sip of living water and go on your way. He is saying a gift is on offer. Salvation and eternal life, security and assurance, and an opportunity to know the one who is offering the drink. Then another implication towards this relationship comes a bit further on. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever drinks, not whoever has drunk this water. An example of present continuous tense for those of you who study such things. Jesus is saying, change your position and choose to walk beside me in relationship where you can continue to enjoy the refreshment that is permanent that only I can provide. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Springs are fed. Often there is a deep underground reservoir that keeps them flowing. Even in a parched and rainless desert, you can find an oasis with permanent springs because of the water supply that is hidden. Jesus says, follow me. Attach yourself to me. Hold onto the hem of my robe if you must, but don't even for a moment let go. But we do let go, don't we? We get distracted, too busy, blinded by the world, pulled away into relationships we know will not satisfy. Even church and ministry can become about us proving ourselves instead of about worship. And we suddenly realize we are thirsty. We are giving out, but not receiving. Martha got grumpy and overburdened with serving Jesus. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Jesus was just in the next room and poor, exhausted Martha was in the kitchen, kneading the dough and stirring the beans, so close 
to the master, but still tired and agitated. Then to make it worse, Jesus compliments her lazy, unhelpful sister, who does nothing but sit at his feet. <laughs> or your career takes off, and the boss demands extra hours, and you feel like a success, and it's all you have been praying for, and life is full now, and you just about make it to church, but not every week. And you rise at six and grab a coffee and run to work, and it's 4 p.m. when you realize you missed your quiet time again and again and again. If I was Pentecostal, I'd say, do I get a witness here? <laughs> you feel so tired. Snap at the kids. Do another lazy meal that gives you indigestion and your life that not so long ago was full of color, now seems gray. Malcolm Muggeridge, great name, isn't it? Malcolm Muggeridge was a gently Catholic British journalist and satirist who died in 1990. He was successful in his field, including on TV. He was also contrary, sarcastic, grumpy, sometimes hypocritical. One article I read said his strengths and his weaknesses can teach Christians about living a countercultural life wisely. Let me quote him. This is Malcolm Muggeridge writing, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass from, for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet, I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, Multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Malcolm Muggeridge discovered how essential that relationship with Jesus is for each of us. He struggled with it too, gave in frequently to his weaknesses, and like most of us, had to return time and again to the source of that living water when he went astray. Almost 60% of our bodies are water. Dehydration can lead to seizures, swelling of the brain, kidney failure, shock, coma, and even death. If any of you have ever been dehydrated, you may be felt the early signs, headache, dizziness, etc. Equally, our spiritual thirst must be quenched. If you look for the refreshment from church or other Christians, 
or the pastor, you will be disappointed. I want to point you back to Jesus. It is when we daily choose to walk alongside him, walking with him, talking with him, learning from him, receiving from him, then we will be satisfied. Our thirst will be quenched and we will experience that spring of living water welling up and overflowing in our lives. Before we close, a word about fruit. Those who are in Christ, that is living in close, deep relationship with the Savior, quite different to making occasional guilt trips to church, they, those who are in Christ, will bear fruit of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in them. It is the fruit of the Spirit that attracts people to Jesus through us. So this life-giving water is not just for our benefit. That is why it's described as a spring. A spring continues to produce a supply of water. This feeds the growth of the fruit in our lives. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I offered you two different plates of fruit, one loaded with ripe, juicy mangoes, apples, grapes, and the other with prunes, raisins, and shriveled-up pears. Very most likely, most of you would be attracted to the first plate, not the second. Jesus pointed this problem out to Martha. We allow ourselves to draw away from Christ and dry out. We are no longer fulfilling our purpose to bear fruit. I'm sorry to say I have been to churches full of dried-up believers before now, and they are soul-destroying, energy-sapping places to be. The Israelites quarreled with Moses and blamed him and Aaron for taking them into the wilderness. We can do that too. Blame our leaders or our society or our family or our friends, making them responsible for something only God himself can provide. The Lord said to Moses, take your staff, and you and your brother Aaron gathered the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he said the same thing to the assembled crowd at the Festival of Tabernacles. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As the band prepares, I ask them specifically to repeat that song we sung just before we ended the worship. I'd like us to pray. Father, we, each one of us, can at times draw away from you.
forget the need to be close to you. Get caught up in the busyness and the craziness of the world that we live in. And we end up thirsty, soul thirsty. We end up dried out. We end up with our souls just shriveling. And that is not how you want us to be. Father, help us to come close to you this morning. Help us to receive that living water. And help us to have the determination, the courage to walk close to you and keep on receiving that living water from you because we know that the well is deep. We know that you can provide for us everything that we need and we trust you in that, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you remind us about these things and help us to get back on track. In Jesus' name.